welcome back to the Innovation Room. My name is Daniel Guajardo. Tori Hallman is going to be my co-host on today's episode, and we're going to be discussing the labor and supply chain shortages. This was a topic that was brought up over and over as we attended the RIFMA National Conference in March. Uh, for those who don't know, RIFMA is the Restaurant and Facility Maintenance Association. So our guest this week is actually someone from the Restaurant Association, and we thought that this would be a great topic to go over. You know, our last episode, we covered how to combat the Great Resignation. So this expounds on that just a little bit more. We're going to focus a little more, I think, on, you know, uh, inflation and rising conflicts between Ukraine and Russia and what that's doing to the economy, instead of just focusing on the pandemic, where that's primarily where our focus has been on previous episodes. Uh, I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Let's go ahead and just get into it right away here. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, we would really appreciate it. You know, thanks. So on today's episode, our guest is going to be Cody Jackson, and Cody Jackson is the Senior Marketing Director at Hacienda Mexican Restaurants. And Cody, would you like to introduce yourself to our viewers out there? Yeah, so my name is Cody Jackson. Uh, I work for Hacienda. I've worked for Hacienda now for a total of 13 years. So I started off as a server at Hacienda, and then I worked my way up. Uh, I just recently took over the marketing department in December. So now I run all of the operations that way. And it's just been a fun few years uh, with everything going on. So. so you've got to experience it from all the different sides. So I think you're going to be uh, really good to talk about uh, the topics we're going over today. And our first topic we're going to discuss is the labor market. So like we've discussed in our last podcast, uh, every single industry is experiencing some sort of labor shortage. And people are calling this the great resignation with everybody transferring jobs, looking for higher pay, looking for better quality of life and such and such. So I guess our first question to you is, um, what does the labor shortage look like in the restaurant industry? And are there any indicators that this may be more prevalent in specific demographics or is this a nationwide thing? So the restaurant industry is a little bit different. It might be more like retail to where we almost forced our own great resignation. Uh, when everything shut down, we had to let a lot of our staff go. And it was probably one of the hardest days we've ever had. I know our CEO was very heartfelt in her message and everything, but um, we just couldn't keep all of our employees. So we almost forced the great, res great resignation on our point. Um, it has gotten back to about 85% of what we used to be pre-pandemic. So it's looking a lot better, um, but they, like you said, there is some gaps uh, that we have currently. So I would say when uh, COVID first hit, when we let everyone go, I would say millennials uh, would have been the biggest group of workers that we kind of lost because they went and they did tech jobs, uh, work from home, all that kind of stuff. They're already pretty much set up to do that. Um, and now that we're getting back into the thick of things, I would say we're doing really well with Gen Z. Um, they're a really great group of individuals, uh, especially the younger ones that are in high school. Uh, we've found different ways to use them. And yeah, they've been really, really good for us. So we're happy. And then now we're getting uh, uh, boomers in too, uh, retirees. Uh, they just want to pick up a couple of shifts, either the host or 
wash dishes or cook. So uh, it's been been really interesting. So it is interesting. I wouldn't have thought of uh, the baby boomer generation coming back to work yeah. as they just retired, but uh, <laughs> yeah. The Gen Z shift makes sense. Uh, restaurants typically have a lower age for a lot of their staff, especially like the front of house hosting bus boys. Um, servers in different states, you have to be different ages, but it's usually around 19 is probably the, yeah. the height or the low, I think. Um, yeah. So I guess what should uh, industry professionals, if you had to give them any advice, expect for retention over the next year, maybe even going into 2023? Are you seeing now that you're you're restaffing a little differently? Do you see these people staying long-term, staying for a year, or how do you think employee retention is going to handle high turnover still like restaurants typically saw? Yeah, so in the restaurant industry, you're almost at 100% uh, turnover. Uh, who you see today in the restaurant, uh, you go back a year from now, you might see about two or three familiar faces. It's just the nature of the industry. Um, so what we've been focusing on is these younger individuals uh, we're getting as young as 14, 15 years old uh, working in the restaurants. Um, it's a different mentality. They can only work so long. Um, so we're shifting our operations. So you know as a server, Dan, that you basically did everything yourself uh, back five years ago. Well, now we have chip squad members, these 14, 15 year olds that are just chipping tables for you. Uh, they're just filling drinks for you. They're bussing tables, helping the bussers. They're doing anything they can to help uh, the servers out. So it's been really, really interesting. Um, and yeah, so it's shifted our focus on how the modeling of serving actually is and carry out's been a huge shift as well. Um, so, uh, if you think back before pre pandemic, we're at, we were at about 12% carry out business of our total business. Now we're in the uh, mid twenties. So it's a huge section. So we can use those younger workers in that aspect too. So uh, it's been, it's been really great. So I guess, and then, and then moving forward, it's uh, it's all about how you treat your employees. Um, the old mindset of they're going to come to work no matter what is a thing of the nineties past. Um, you really got to take care of these uh younger employees, even the older ones. Um, if you're not there listening to them, working on flexible schedules, uh, letting them go to school, letting them take a day off because they just want a day off, you got to do it now. And we've seen great success in the restaurants that really work with their employees on stuff like that. So that's good. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to touch a little more on the like the facility maintenance or management side of the restaurants and the labor market as it comes to like your vendors for um, people coming in to, to clean the hoods at night and the grease traps and people coming in to maintain all of the appliances and stuff within your restaurants. Are you having any trouble in that labor market is seeing, you know, um, longer turn times on a, a fix it ticket or repair ticket or just people not being able to get out to your restaurants? So luckily we have really good relationships with some of our vendors. Uh, we have a vendor up in the, we're all in Indiana. So mm -hmm. Northern Indiana, uh, we, we have a vendor that uh, we worked with for a really long time and they come out on the drop of a hat. And since we've had such great relations, we haven't seen any impact there. Um, really the 
probably like the construction start, uh, side of it. So if we need like a wall removed or like tile done or anything like that, that was a little rough there for a little bit. Um, that stuff is starting to come back. Um, okay. uh, supplies are easier to get. So it's not much of a, a wait time and all that kind of stuff. And they're super busy because there's not, not a whole lot of contractors out there anymore. Um, so stuff like that was a little hit and miss, um, but I would say hood cleaning, stuff like that. I don't, we haven't really had too much of an issue because we work with uh, some longstanding companies that have done really good work for us. So we've been somewhat fortunate there, knock on wood. So yeah. I might say that a couple times today. So don't want to jinx ourselves. <laughs> yeah, that was great to hear everything's coming back. That sounds like some real positive news, at least for restaurateurs moving into this year and next year. And uh, that actually takes us right into uh, where we can move into our next topic. So we're going to shift from talking about the shortage of workers and to the shortage of materials and how the supply chain is affecting everything. So stick around for that. All right, like Dan said, we've been spent a little time talking about the uh, labor shortage, and now we're going to move a little bit more into supply chain shortages. Um, so dealing with COVID-19 particularly, right, that's what put the initial strain on the supply chain. Everything was completely reactive. Um, but what I've heard talk about is for 2022, how are we building more resilient supply chains, um, ones that are focused on security and, and making sure that we have stores for, for the long term. Um, but even though that is maybe more of the mindset, we're still seeing some of those supply chain issues. So Cody, where in the restaurant industry are you guys seeing some of these supply chain breakdowns? So mostly what we're seeing is the imports. Um, at first it was to-go packaging because we were doing a lot more to-go, but now it's anything that's getting imported into the country. So a big thing for us is tequila right now. Um, if we can't get tequila, we can't make margaritas since we're a Mexican restaurant. And that really hurts us as a company. Um, we've also seen things like avocados. Uh, so I think we'll kind of talk about that a little later. Um, but anything really coming from Mexico, since we're a Mexican restaurant, is kind of hurting us. So if we can't make chips, we can't make chips. So, And then it also uh, is when companies shift their focus on different uh, things that they're producing. So say they have uh, something that doesn't, they don't produce a lot and they might only produce it for us. They'll just drop that. Uh, and then we're kind of scrambling to find something to fill that void. Um, luckily, we have a great relationship with Gordon's Food Service, GFS, um, to where we have a back lot of things, a back supply. Uh, they keep so many weeks of supply for us. So if something does get dropped, we at least have a few weeks to maybe a couple months of supply sitting in their warehouse until we have to find a substitution. So. That really helps us out so with our big, big items like meat, tortillas, cheese, everything like that. So, yeah. So it sounds like you're seeing those breakdowns. I mean, literally all the way from your raw supplier to um, some of those. It sounds like you have a good relationship with Gordon Food Service, but maybe some of those other suppliers. Um, it's just, it's the whole supply chain is having trouble for you guys. Right. Uh, they can't really keep yeah. up with much. Um, it's gotten a lot better, I would say, in the last six months. Um, and even we've gone outside of Gordon's Food Service, uh, worked with other food suppliers, which we've never done in the past, um, just because we need to get supplies. So uh, Gordon's has done a great job, but sometimes you need to reach out to others and use your connections that way. So 
Yeah, absolutely. So how long do you kind of foresee these supply chain issues continuing? The rest of the year, longer? I uh, wish I had a magic eight ball for that one because <laughs> every day it's something new. Um, yeah. From what we've heard, it could be for food and stuff like that, uh, probably 2024. I know that's not what people want to hear, um, but with things going on across the globe right now and everything like that, um, it really, you can't tell right now. So yeah, that's kind of what they're saying is 2024. Uh, that's a whole, wow. what, wow. 18 months away plus, so. That's crazy and not at all the answer I was expecting. Yeah, <laughs> I hope that the tequila, no, no, but the tequila thing needs to get solved quick because the next time I'm at Hacienda, I have to get a margarita. You got to right. get it. Well, so tequila is an interesting story because when you only have so much juice is what they kind of call it. Um, and you only have so many workers, Sometimes you shift away from specialty stuff like añejos, extra añejos, like the aged tequilas, and they just go for what sells, and then they'll just pump out a bunch of silver. So there's some uh, tequila uh, places that don't even have añejo tequila available right now. So because they're making so much silver to get it out because they don't have the resources to do it all. So it's, it's been kind of interesting. Like a big one is Cabo Labo. They don't have, they're not really making their own in Yeho right now, which is kind of crazy. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, That's that sad. aging process is years long, right? So if they're, yeah. that, this could be like a shortage for a long time to come if they're not even starting a process. Right. They might've just taken all that supply right away and made it like repo and silver. But yeah, it takes almost uh, like two years to do some of that stuff. Um, so, and they only have so many agave plants. Mm. So they're just kind of, shift in their focus and you would never think that looking at a, a shelf at the store but yeah so stock up on your añejo and uh, maybe you can put yeah. them online <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, some of the like better ones 1942 um cool. is a is a big one we have had issues getting that the last two years uh sometimes we can't most of the time we can't even get it so it's that stuff that's really really good um yeah. They just have to focus on more, um, yeah, more like silvers kind of things. Wow. Hmm. Interesting, interesting stuff. So in our next section, we'll be talking a little bit more about some solutions to these problems since now that we've dived right into all of the, the sad reality of the tequila industry. Um, so you can look forward to that in the next section. So to wrap things up here, we're going to talk about how to combat these shortages and to try to solve, you know, some of the little issues, not the big overall problem, but maybe just a few things that could help you in your day to day or help you in your position. So um, we can't predict the future, but we can take a guess, an educated guess, if you will. And uh, so, Cody, we're, we're leaving it up to you. And what is Hacienda and other restaurants doing to combat some of these uh, like the labor crises to start? So the labor crisis is you have to think of your employees differently than you did maybe even five years ago, maybe even two years ago. Um, hire them young. Uh, no one needs experience in the restaurant industry. Um, I think my old GM said it the best, uh, who was also Dan's GM. Uh, he hired personality. You don't hire experience. 
because it's it's hospitality. It's not a, like a major skilled position. You can learn how to serve. You can learn how to uh, do carry out and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's all about personality. So hire them young. Hire them with anyone with uh, any type of personality. So you can teach them the skills. Uh, it's a running joke that Gen Z doesn't know how to use a broom. Well, that takes five seconds to teach them how to use a broom. So don't hire them because they don't have any experience. Uh, hire them because they're going to help you and your culture. Um, so, and really, that's the biggest thing is your culture. Uh, if you don't have good culture at your restaurant, you're going to turn and burn employees daily. Um, so we've seen our, some of our restaurants, if the culture is great, their turnover is as low as 60%, which is phenomenal in the restaurant industry. But if your culture is not good, it can get up towards 140, 160%. Um, just imagine hiring and training and all that kind of stuff. So um, it really helps to get the culture right in your restaurants. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough decisions to let people go, um, especially in a labor crisis. Uh, yeah. You got to get rid of the bad apples. Um, I guess a to pause you real quick, a, a labor short, like a turnover of over a hundred percent. Does that mean that you're filling the same position multiple times within the tracked period? Like how do you get yeah. over a hundred percent? Okay. That's what I was thinking. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So say you have like 40 servers that year, you have like a hundred new servers or something like that because wow. they just come in and out so quickly. Um, they might only stay two weeks and figure out that maybe the restaurant industry isn't for them um, because you do hire them without experience. But uh, as Dan knows, Hacienda, uh, Tori, you might too. Uh, chips and salsa is a huge thing for us. And that's a tough part of the job. You're not just getting drinks and food, but you're filling chips and salsa and all that kind of stuff. So that's why we have the chip squad now to kind of take that all that stress of the chips and salsa away from uh, the servers and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's some ways we're battling the labor crisis, hire them young, hire good personalities and don't let the bad ones stick around because you're just going to combat turnover because they're going to drive people away. Yeah. So yeah. Gen Z, just like people said for millennials, when we were younger, I've heard, you know, it's not that they don't know how to use a broom. They're not willing to learn. They're like, no, just get a Zumba. Like, <laughs> but people used to say that about millennials too, that we didn't want to work and all this. And while we were still at work every day, all day, um, it's just every generation probably deals with this. So I do agree that just being able to teach somebody these simple things, as long as they're willing, they still need to be willing to want to work though. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a challenge too, because they might need a phone break. Can you imagine that? Uh, when you first started your job, they're like, people got fired if you took your phone out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have uh, like cell phone zones to where they can use their cell phones and stuff like that. Uh, granted, we don't like doing it in the front of house, but we're like, oh, instead of taking a smoke break, go take a 10 minute phone break. It's sure. just little things like that uh, because they're so connected to that. Um, so, yeah. and in, almost encourage them to be on their phones sometimes. Uh, posting about it on social media, like how much fun they're having at work. So I know it's a different mindset, but it's kind of That's fun. That's crazy. That's crazy. So I, I have a quick, uh, quick question on this. Um, in reading about this topic earlier, uh, saw came across some research that said um, across it was across many industries, but that um, sixty percent of employees said that they quit their jobs because of their managers. Um, so how does how does that play into the labor crisis, the 
um, mid and upper level management impacting um, the people who are on boots on the ground? Uh, it affects us a lot. Um, it happens daily. Uh, we lose managers because of other managers. So it's not even like a manager above them. It could be the same level. Um, so if you have bad attitudes in management uh, or just poor management skills, uh, you're going to lose really good employees because of that. Um, yeah. So we've done a lot of different things with that. Uh, we actually do like management workshops and stuff like that. So we're actually getting ready to take uh, all of our managers on a trip. So half the managers go for a couple of days and then the other half goes for a couple of days just to get them away from the restaurants and talking about uh, different things. So yeah. uh, try to combat the stress, give them days off because if they're stressful, that all goes down, trickles down into the employees and all that good stuff. So, but yeah, you're right. If you, the management staff isn't pleasant to work for, you're going to have a hard time finding people to work for them. People. It's as easy yeah. as that. Yeah, and just giving people an opportunity for ongoing education in their job field is statistically also one of those things that um, is really, really increases employee retention. So it's awesome to hear that Hacienda is doing that. That's great. That's great. Yeah. You kind of rely on your managers to almost build individual cultures at different restaurants as well, because typically in like a corporate setting, HR handles a lot of, you know, the development of the culture and trying to implement different things to build a positive work culture where in a restaurant, you have a corporate office with an HR who probably works on the overall, like the Amigo, um, different preparations they used to do. We, we bleed salsa and all that kind of stuff that builds that brand culture for everybody. But you have to have your managers in store, really, you know, pushing that culture for each individual store to keep that going. So is, how does that, I guess, how does that play into maybe some of the retention or helping get the right people? So yeah, it's a big thing. Uh, the manager is basically, basically our HR inside the restaurants because they see them every day. Um, mm-hmm. We only have one corporate office and we have uh, 15 locations. So it's hard to, for one area to get to all of them. Um, and we're a little spread out, but yeah, the managers have to basically, um, we encourage one-on-ones a lot uh, just to talk to uh, our amigos and ask them, hey, what's going on? What's wrong? What can we fix? All that kind of stuff. So yeah, really the managers have to just have an open dialogue with their employees to just see what's going on. Because um, otherwise, if you don't know the problem, you can't fix it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of those soft skills are very necessary, not just the, the process of running a restaurant, but being able to, you know, lead people, inspire them. Right. I guess. It's not clock them in, clock them out, and then they're done. There's a lot more that goes into it now. So. Especially with the young age people, they tend to need a little more leading sometimes because they're just learning. Yeah. Yeah. They, they just don't know what to do to fill the time. So, but yeah. We find ways. So. You got time to lean. You got time to clean, right? <laughs> right. That's the only time. <laughs> so I guess no. moving a little, a little further in from the, uh, the employee section of it in the labor crisis, you know. So, are, anything on how uh, restaurants are managing the supply chain challenges um, that we were speaking about earlier that you could share with the audience? So. Some things we've done is, or one big thing we've done is menu simplification. So instead of having this huge menu, 
we just did one last fall and we took away 15 menu items, oh, wow. which on a normal like menu uh, relook every year, we might take out one or two, but then we're like adding two or three more. So you really never um, see a menu item go. But this time we did 15 and that is huge for us. Um, with those 15 items, I think we lost like 20 to 30 orphan ingredients. So we didn't have to carry all these smaller ingredients for these uh, menu items. Um, so that's really where we're going. We're shifting the menu to towards things that either are really easy to get um, or easy to make for us uh, rather than these niche items that are kind of harder to get. Um, more relying on the supply chain. So, and then just looking at different packaging options and stuff like that too, because if we can't get packaging, we have to shift to something different. So uh, yeah. we've shifted our packaging back and forth to whatever we can get sometimes, but yeah, it's been, it's yeah. been challenging, but, and unfortunately sometimes it's, damn, I remember we almost never told the customer no. Um, we've been telling the customer no lately. And it's unfortunate, but if we don't have supply, we have to say, oh, no, we can't do it for you. And yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of hard getting rid of people's favorites. We just yeah. Can't do it. It's a great yeah. thing to be able to say you can uh, accommodate your customers in every single way, but there were times when we should have told the customers no. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not always and maybe not even know but maybe just steer them a different direction suggest something else you know try to help them get close to what they want but not go you know put everyone else out just to get this one thing for this one person sometimes but oh yeah um, we uh we actually did that when we got rid of the 15 items we put like a pairing like oh we don't have this item anymore but hey you might like this item because it's pretty close so yeah we just it's not like we're not appreciative of the customers anymore but uh sometimes yeah gotta gotta change things so you're doing everything you can to still provide them with a hacienda to visit you know everyone's kind of doing this in their own way and we're all dealing with all different things and trying to accommodate where we can but most people are still pretty understanding that you know things have changed a little bit um i guess my i'm curious to know is this still like a test kind of phase or have you removed these items long enough to see if it's really impacted any sort of um sales or the amount of customers you're receiving it throughout your locations by removing so many items? Um, we've actually only added one uh, orphan ingredient back. It was our potatoes or our red skin potatoes for a burrito that we had. Um, we tried to find a solution for that because uh, it's a popular item, um, but we've gone back to a very similar item. Um, but mostly a lot of these changes were because of ease of operations too. Mm-hmm. So we're actually turning food a lot faster. Um, we're turning tables a lot faster, uh, getting a lot more guests through the door. So as of right now, it's, it's beneficial for us. It's beneficial for the guests. And I don't think these huge menus are going to come back anytime soon. Sure. And if you're improving overall experience and, you know, the guest is going to be happier more often just because a few items are gone, I think that's a really good trade-off. So, yeah, absolutely. So Cody, can you, um, you mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast, how important your relationships with a couple of your vendors have been, whether that's for facility maintenance or for the supply chain. Can you um, just speak to that 
um, and, and how important that's been to Hacienda? Well, when the pandemic hit, we were talking to our vendors way more than what we would have in the past. Uh, usually we'd only talk to them about limited time offers coming up or this or that, but it was about everything. Um, so it really strengthened our bond with our vendors um, because we were talking to them via Zoom. Uh, Zoom was a huge thing with our vendors uh, then. Um, but yeah, it, it strengthened our relationship with them, uh, strengthened our communication. Um, and it kind of showed how valuable they are to us. Uh, you take it for granted sometimes until you can't get your supplies. So uh, yeah, I'd say value your vendor relations, really take care of them uh, as much as possible because, and then don't be afraid to add new vendors. I know mm -hmm. we're afraid to add new food vendors, but if you need new products or just need help supplementing some product, uh, like carry out dishes or a certain tortilla or anything like that, uh, yeah, don't be afraid to change. You're going to have to change more. Yeah. yeah. A lot of vendors are happy to onboard as a supplemental vendor too. Like I know everybody wants to be the main vendor if they're onboarding with a new client, but onboarding is a supplemental backup whenever they need help. Most people are just as happy to do that, you know, because that's how you start to build a relationship. Grow right. together. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that. We've grown uh, smaller vendors' relationships. Uh, I think now the company that makes our tortillas, we're the biggest uh, buyer from them uh, because we switched everything to them. So uh, it's been beneficial for us and it's been beneficial for them, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, did you have any final tips or anything you want to share with uh, any restaurateurs or maybe facility managers in the restaurant space? Uh, something I really didn't touch on was um, managing your flow of the restaurant. Uh, kind of touched on a little bit, but not really. But um, when you say don't be, don't be afraid to say no to your guests, uh, if you don't have enough employees to take care of your guests, uh, have them wait. Uh, putting people on weights now is more of a common thing than it ever was before and seeing empty tables. That's the biggest thing. Uh, if a guest can see an empty table and then they're like, Oh, why can't I sit there? Well, uh, we're just trying to help their experience and we're trying to help our employees experience. Yeah. Um, you knew, you know that well, Dan, that if you get more tables than what you can take care of, everyone suffers. So don't be afraid to go on a wait uh, don't be afraid to sit areas that you've never sat with a host before. Uh, our bar areas was always open seating. I'd say 12 out of our 14 or 15 restaurants, it's, we seat our bars now. Uh, it's not a free for all anymore um, because we want to control the flow. Um, so it's better on our kitchen, it's better on our servers, and it's better for the guests. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you have a, a little tougher because typically when you enter an establishment, your experience begins like upon walking in the door. But if you think about a restaurant, your experience begins when you're sat at your table to start your meal and everything and you're greeted by the server. So I could see why it is difficult for people to walk in, be told they're on a wait and then see an empty room. Like, well, why can't I just sit here? <laughs> like, well, you oh, can, yeah. but no one will come over to you ever. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we're getting so much better at having more staff, um, but it was a huge challenge at first. We got a lot of backlash from guests. 
a lot of angry guests that they would they would leave and they say well we're not coming back for a while uh, because there's open tables and they can't take care of us but um it's worked out for us in the long run uh it helped us uh, retain employees um Mm -hmm. so i think it was a good thing for the long run yeah, I definitely agree. That was good on your part, especially with employee retention. Because if you just stress your employees out to try to make all your guests happy, if you lose more employees when that's your problem, then yeah, I, I still know. have cares about not getting the tables. So I can't imagine right now with everything else going on. So, do you work with uh, I guess like the front of the house on like communicating how or why that this is like so when we're they're putting people on weights, like I know a lot of the times there's miscommunication issues that cause the people to be upset within like the retail space or within customer service. And if people are fully communicating why something is the way it is, people tend to be less upset about it. Um, um, the, our directors of operations uh, were in charge of that at the beginning. Um, and it was difficult. Uh, it was yeah. difficult for our guests to not be able to just seat, those, seat themselves in the bar. Uh, we still have issues to this day that regulars still just walk right in because they're like, nah, I've been doing this for 40 years, so I'm not waiting for a host to send me. Um, so it has been a little change, but once they saw the benefit of us seating the way we have been and us going on weights, uh, it was kind of, it just spoke for itself, I guess you could say. Yeah. So there was a lot of backlash at first. Uh, there was a lot of disgruntled servers and all that kind of stuff, but I think everyone really appreciates it now to control that stress level. So well, that's great. Uh, Tori, do you have anything else for Cody? I don't think I have any more questions, but just want to say thank you for being on the show. We really appreciated talking to you today and hearing more about, uh, about your industry and to all of our audience. If you live in Northern Indiana, you have to go to Hacienda. You got to get a margarita. Or Southern, or Southern Indiana. Oh, Southern Indiana. Oh, yeah, okay. We have some down in Evansville and they'll claim that they're the Ooh. original Haciendas down there. Um, and we have more but... of them down there. Yeah, it started in northern Indiana. So, <laughs> so everybody, everybody go check out Hacienda. It's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Cody. I do appreciate it. And um, we will talk to everybody next time. Awesome. Thank you.